0: So we are in our series on the Beatitudes, the Jesus lifestyle, and um, I think it's a good idea for us to just go ahead and read the whole passage again um, so that we get this in our heads. So if you want to stand and read with me, I would love that. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So in 1952, there was an amazing movie. It was released in Britain and it was about sound barrier and they named it The Sound Barrier. (laughs) Then it was sent over to America and because we really like to be more clever, we renamed it Breaking The Sound Barrier. So not our best time, movie title, history, but um, this was a movie about Breaking the sound barrier. So it was nice and clear, right? Um, so at the beginning of that movie, um, no plane had ever flown faster than the speed of sound. And there were a lot of people that doubted that it could ever be done. They thought that as soon as you got to that speed, the, the plane was just going to shake and then disintegrate. Um, so in the plot, there were lots of different test pilots trying this out. And you know, none of them were successful. There were a lot of planes that fell apart. and. Um, a lot of crashes. But at the climax of the movie, another test pilot figured out what to do because it seemed that the controls of the plane were working differently once you got past that speed. And so he daringly increased his speed right to the point he needed to be, and then instead of pulling back on the throttle, he pushed down, which would normally send it into a dive, but it didn't, and everybody was excited and it worked. Yay. So if you're like me, you're sitting here and you're like, that's, that's not true. No, it's not true. It's not historically accurate at all. If you ask Chuck Yeager, who actually was the first person to break the sound barrier, he said over and over, it didn't really work like that. It didn't work like that at all. But it made for you know a super fun movie, and so that's what happens. But it is a great graphic illustration of God's kingdom. And N.T. Wright says it this way, in these apparently simple words, he's talking about the Beatitudes, Jesus is taking the controls and making them work backwards. The only explanation seems to be that he thinks he's taking God's people through the sound barrier and taking them to somewhere they had never been before. So the idea is that entering God's kingdom is going to a place you've never been before. And friends, I promise you things work differently in God's kingdom so last week Greg said that when he was first studying the scriptures he kind of skipped over those because he was like let me just leave that to people that are smarter than me <laughs> I'm not that Greg when I was looking at them when I was younger because I was like I really don't know what to do with this string of what I thought was this is how you're supposed to live and I, I just kind of kind of moved along. I don't, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with that, so I'm just going to keep moving on with my life. Uh, but I think the reason is because I, I was understanding the point of the passage incorrectly. So Jesus wasn't giving good advice on how to live blessed or to be a disciple. He was saying that God's kingdom is different and that things changed when the kingdom of God entered the world. So things that previously would get one reaction now actually we're different. Um, it's an important perspective to have because we're going to be going through all of these. And um, it's not prescriptive. right? It's, it's explaining it. It's telling you how it's going to work differently. Um, Greg covered last week, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for those for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the next one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So what do you think of when you hear the word mourn? grief sorrow crying suffering maybe so I like to make sure that I have a complete grasp of the scripture before I stand up in front of you and act like I know what I'm talking about so I do a lot of studying and um, I usually look at a bunch of different Bible translations so on this one I looked at seven English translations they all read exactly the same <laughs> blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted so then I looked at the Greek Bible And then I remembered I can't read Greek. So I put that down. And then I looked up the root of the Greek word for mourn and found that it was translated the most frequently as mourn. Okay, so on the surface, we're doing all right. It's just mourn, right? Um, So the next thing I do when I'm studying in depth is I look at various commentaries to see what they have to say about a verse. And all the commentaries I looked at said, blessed are those who mourn. no problem. And then I thought, but what are you mourning? And that's where it got a little different, because almost all of the commentaries had a slightly different take on that. And I thought, this must be a lot more nuanced than it seemed on the surface. So I want to just kind of take layers and move from the top into the deepest. So the first one is, blessed are those who mourn the loss of a loved one. So if you are mourning the loss of a loved one and you are a Jesus follower, you're going to be comforted. You're going to be comforted by his presence, by his understanding, and by the promise of the reuniting of all the believers in Christ at the bodily resurrection. And so if you think about Lazarus, you remember the story where Lazarus died and the sisters were sitting for Jesus and they were just devastated. Um, And Jesus went to them. He wept. He grieved, he mourned, and he comforted them. So you can see that's the unfolding of the kingdom of God. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So she's thinking a different kind of resurrection. She's thinking the resurrection um, that the Jewish people believed in at the coming of the Messiah in the last days. He's saying, Hold on a second. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever leaves by believing in me lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He's giving that promise now. He's saying, This is an existing reality that you can live in, and it's not happening yet. You don't see it right the second, but it's still real, and it's still happening right now. It's Jesus' kingdom. The now, but not yet. There is hope in the resurrection. The physical, bodily resurrection of all believers. It's real. Um, When Mary... Oops, I didn't put that one up there, so I'm just going to read it to you. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That's mourning. That's deep mourning. That's not, I'm sad for you. It's not, I feel a little teary. It is deep mourning. Where have you laid him? He said, Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. That's my uh, my youth loved that verse because they have it memorized. <laughs> <laughs> then the <laughs> Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus is deeply moved by our mourning. It's not something he has not experienced himself. He's been there. He's experienced it. He's moved by it. He's with us. He walks with us in our grief. He never leaves our side, and he promises us the hope of the resurrection and the reunification of all believers. So that is the first. If you mourn, take hope in that. Take heart. You will be comforted. The second one is blessed are those who mourn over their own sinful state." If you're mourning over the state of your sin, you're going to be comforted by Jesus' offer of new life. Because if you get to a point of being that aware and that repentant of the state of your sin, then you're ready. You're ready to reach out your hand and receive salvation. And so you're going to be comforted by that salvation immediately. Can you remember the first time you became aware of your need for Jesus? For some of you, it was a long time ago. For some of you, it was a little more recently. But when you became aware of it and you first said, Oh, I need you, Jesus. I really need you. And I can't do this by myself. And I really want you to take over here. Please forgive me. Something changed. You received new life. And I think if your experience was like mine, things changed. Your outlook changed. You received joy and comfort in place of that grief over your sin. Because you realized been made whole in christ so there was a a new connection and worship for you there was a new eagerness to hear what jesus had to say there's a new outlook on your life and the way you make your decisions and the way you love others that's a source of comfort in romans paul says therefore since we have been made right in god's sight by faith we have peace with god because of what jesus christ our lord has done for us because of our faith Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So let's think about this for just a second. In the world's kingdom, if you mourn, you may or may not be comforted. You may have some friends that are like, man, I'm sorry you're sad. There may be some friends that can feel it with you, right? But the majority of the world is like, State of mourning is actually something to be pitied We don't want you to drag us down, right? That's the normal state of the world. But in God's kingdom, there's comfort. In the state of the world, if you think, I am a wretched person, the world's like, that's fine. Just look deep in your heart and follow your desires. You'll fix it. Go read some books in Barnes & Noble or any other bookstore. I'm not calling them out, right? Seek enlightenment. Maybe try some a new diet. You know, that that's the world. And there are darker Solutions to that, too, right? Let me escape into chemicals or behaviors that are good for me. But in God's kingdom, no. The answer is Jesus. It's right there, and you're comforted. So those two things right away, you see how very different God's kingdom is from the world that we know. So those are much more transient conditions, those first two states of mourning. This third one gets a little deeper. Blessed are those who mourn over the brokenness of this present world and the suffering it causes. What what does that type of mourning look like? Because for me, I know that part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. So it can't be... Woe is me, woe is the world, the world is broken, and ruminating in it. That's not that kind of morning. It's not a hopeless morning, but it is an intense morning. So recently, Jonathan and Greg and I got to go to the New Room Conference in Houston, and this kind of conference was really a first for me. I've been to worship leader conferences. um, I've been to youth leader conferences and spiritual awakening conferences, and this was different than all of them. In 2019, I went to the National Youth Workers Conference, and I thought that, like, oh, I have found my people, because there were a gazillion other people that loved Jesus, loved teenagers, loved games, and snacks. That's right. They had fun snacks, free t-shirts, balloons, games in the hallways. I mean, you know, I was like, oh, this this is where I am, right? This is my thing. And then I went to this conference. Oh, this really is my tribe. It's not on a surface level. You guys, this is your tribe too, this New Room Conference. It's, it's in our DNA as, as Wesleyan believers who love the Lord and believe in the infilling of the Spirit and the ministry that you do with the infilling of the Spirit. And at this conference, there was a great emphasis on what it looks like to sow for awakening on getting ourselves straight with God, repenting, allowing him to reveal things in us, on racial reconciliation, on reaching out to the young adult and youth communities around us, on loving the lost and broken with a sincere love. It's preparing us to sow for a great awakening. But the biggest emphasis there was that all of that has to be rooted in prayer. And not just any prayer, travailing prayer. We are kind of a fast food society. Um, I'm not saying you're fast food people, but we're a fast food society. And we like to do things like, you know, oh, hey, Jesus, um, you know, I'm, I'm praying for my friend. Please bless him and move on, right? Or Jesus, I really need a parking place. Could you hook me up? Mm-hmm. Right? Like the quick transactional prayers. And don't hear me wrong. God loves it when we talk to him. It doesn't matter whether it's safe or not. He wants us to be in communication with him all the time. But there's a level to prayer that is easy to overlook in the hurry of our lives. There's a depth, and there's a there's a pressing into His presence and and a hearing from Him, a time to listen. But travailing prayer is deeper than all of that. And so, what in the world does that look like? Well, it's the prayer of Hannah for a child. She was overcome to the point of being thought to be intoxicated in her pleading, and she had to say, "I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out." my soul to the lord hezekiah when he took his desperation to the temple and spread it out before the lord elijah climbing to the top of mount carmel and bowing low and praying with the space between his knees that's that's a position of intense labor the kind of prayer you see in the psalms streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed day and night i cry out to you listen to my cry for i am in desperate need it's the prayers of jesus who offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. This is praying in the Spirit who intercedes for us through wordless groans. <laughs> travailing prayer is the most common type of prayer in Scripture. You don't really see the light ones. You know, It's like, yeah, talk to me, but travailing prayer is what you see. When you really look and things have been changed and moved by prayer, it's that type of prayer. In 1949, two older ladies named Peggy and Christine Smith, they were 82 and 84 years old each, were burdened over the state of the body of Christ, and they began interceding in prayer nightly over many weeks. They would often start at 10 p.m. and go until 1 or 2 in the morning, and they just felt a burden from the Lord to do this, and they prayed for weeks and then some of the ministers and the community joined them on Tuesdays and Fridays, and they they began began praying Isaiah forty four three, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry grounds. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. After a series of events, a Scottish preacher arrived for a two weeks visit, and he was there for two years. Mm-hmm. His name was Duncan Campbell, and this became what is now referred to as the Hebrides Revival. Travailing prayer, the travailing prayer of two women who felt called, led to the revival and the estimated salvation of 90% of the population on that island. That's the basis we mourn over the state of this present world. It's not because there's no hope. It's because there's enormous hope dive into it. You contend for it. You pray for it. You travail for it. So we need a whole Sunday probably to talk about all of the depth of travailing prayer because I I just touched the surface and the things I'm learning about it um, make me wonder what I've been doing with my life up until this point, honestly. But um, it sounds a lot like those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Sounds a lot like comfort for those who mourn over the present state of the world. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And I promise you this is true because that's why I have two children. (laughs) (laughs) And so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. So a couple weeks ago, Jonathan um, cast a vision for our church and it says our vision is to do our part to invite people to abundant life with Jesus to renew the church, and to transform the society. And that vision sounds a lot like the vision to sow for a great awakening. Seedbed is the sponsor of the New Room Conference, and it says the church cannot manufacture awakening. We can't just schedule it, we can't put it on a calendar, all right, now's the time, now's the time. It's ultimately a work of God and a sign of his presence. But we can sow for an awakening, we can Remove impediments. We can posture ourselves to receive it. What would it look like if we as a church really leaned into that? If we leaned into the vision for our church, if we leaned into the idea of sowing for our awakening? That would make us a completely different church in this community that could have a completely different impact on the lost and the broken and the hurting. What would it look like for you specifically? What would it look like for our ministries? What would it look like for us as a congregation to sow for awakening? How do we do that? How do we strengthen our prayer life with us individuals and as a congregation? If you think I'm giving you all the answers, I'm just asking questions right now. How do we do that? How do we build in a rhythm of prayer? How do we make sure that when we're planning things, we're looking to that vision, that we're aligning things with our vision, and not just doing them because they're good things, but doing them because that's the one that's leading us on this path to soul for awakening. If you've never checked out seedbed.com, I encourage you to do it. There are tons of resources about this where you could probably find some of the answers to the questions I've been asking. I challenge you to take the time and the initiative to go deeper in your faith, to look through resources like this, to learn, to pray, to get together with people in our congregation, to pray as a group, what would happen? Picture it. We left a very difficult situation, and I'm not minimizing that. And there are some of us that feel like we sowed in tears, and now we're reaping in joy. It's true. But for what purpose? For our joy? I don't think so. I think that's our old identity. and We're called to step out of that identity and put on a new identity. An identity of a church that's sowing for a great awakening. The identity of a church that wants to be walking so closely with God's call that his presence follows us where we go. That it goes before us and paves the way. Let's let's take off that old thing that we mourned about and put it down for good. And let's take on this new call. What would it look like in Williamsburg? If we were a church that deliberately awakening, deliberately participated in travailing prayer, what kinds of things would change? How would it impact our schools? How would it impact our poor and our hungry? How would it impact the people that don't think that they need anything but actually desperately need Jesus? What kinds of actual societal changes would we see? What kinds of personal transformation would we see take place? Again, I'm asking the questions, I'm not giving the answers. But I encourage you to pray about it. We have this great opportunity as a new church to be unique in our DNA, to be unique in our purpose and in our focus. And I'm asking you to lean into that. Amen. So blessed are those who mourn. If you're mourning a loss, you are not alone. And Jesus is with you offering hope and comfort. And he's using his body of believers to come alongside you as well, if you let them in. If you're mourning over your own sin, Jesus stands ready to forgive you and give you new life. And last week when Greg preached about um, being poor in spirit, it was this desperation, this awareness that I need Jesus. And if you're not feeling that, it's probably because you've received Jesus. Hopefully that's the reason, not because you don't know it yet. It goes right into mourning over your sin being comforted by receiving salvation. So if you feel like, I'm not sure I've ever really had that sensation, let's do that today. And come talk to me after church. I really want to talk to you about that. Um, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And if you're mourning over the state of the present world, could it be that you are called to travail in prayer, to sowing for a great awakening? Our whole church took up that call to sow in tears and reap in joy, to sow for a great awakening. Amen. Amen. So, I'd like to ask the band to come up. Um, I want to pray over us, and we're going to be doing um, two songs. We have like an extended time of worship. We have people that are available to pray over you if you want prayer. If you want to come up and just talk to the Lord. ...about any of the stuff that's been stirring in you today, please take advantage of this time. It's, you know, it's a little tighter in here than than maybe we're... So I I encourage you to take advantage of this time to come forward and pray um, for ministry, to receive prayer, um, and to do business with Jesus. And again, if you're that person that's like, I'm not sure I really have been comforted over the state of my sin, please come talk to me. I would love to pray for you. God, we come to you this morning, Lord, so grateful to be in your presence and grateful for the type of God that you are, for your kingdom that is now and not yet and that sometimes makes sense and sometimes doesn't make sense but you're trying to teach us and we're trying to learn, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as you're stirring our hearts and calling us into deeper relationship with you, into a deeper faith and a more active faith, Lord, that you give us the strength and the boldness to answer that call. I pray, Lord, for those that are mourning the loss of a loved one, for those that are suffering. I thank you for your comfort, and I pray, Lord, that you would just pour out your spirit on them right now. I pray, Lord, for those who are aware of their own sin and need to repent. I pray, Lord, that you would Help them feel your forgiveness, be aware of your worship, choose to receive it. And for those Lord that are praying for the state of this present world because what a state it is, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would put feet to that morning, that you would give us action because it's not a hopeless morning. It's full of infinite hope. Teach us, Lord, how to pray.